0: the high desert in the great American Southwest West. Welcome to Coast to Coast AM. John, welcome to the program. Good to have you with us. You with us. You with us. you with us.
1: Welcome to Coast to Coast PM, the number one unofficial Coast to Coast AM podcast. We are two brothers who analyze the world's largest overnight paranormal radio show, Coast to Coast AM. My name is Paul, and I'm the guy that listens to this inexplicable radio show here with my brother. Hey, it's Chris. I'm the Jamie to your Joe Rogan, except we don't make hundreds of millions of dollars off of this show. We do not, Chris. We do all of this for free, <laughs> zero dollars. In fact, we should it, really it, monetize. We may actually be in the red. <laughs> we lose money doing we this. We lose money doing this podcast. So uh, come on down. Come to come listen to us lose money. This is a labor of love, Chris. A yeah, labor, a of, labor love. of love. That's yeah. exactly right. But you know that's that's how it goes. Well, Chris, today in this labor of love that is our podcast. We have another show, and this one I also think you're going to like. Oh, yeah? What do we got here? This is going to be George Nori's interview with Andy Lloyd from June 4th of 2019. Andy is a researcher who joined to discuss his research into Nibiru, Planet X, and Nemesis. Oh, I I don't even know what Nemesis is. I'm guessing not Star Trek Nemesis, Paul. Not Star Trek Nemesis, no. Uh, a giant uh, planet out there that is hurling asteroids at us is basically what Nemesis is. So these are three separate planets somewhere in our solar system. Yes, these are other planets or brown dwarfs or red dwarfs. There's some sort of celestial body that are out there in the solar system that we're trying to find right now. Okay, all right interesting they, all right, they, okay I'm they interested. may or may not have aliens on them as well i've i've always you know have heard of planet x and nibiru i always kind of thought they were the same thing but it sounds like they're actually different and i think it depends on who you're talking to okay they just give different names to it there's also planet nine is a name that's sort of given to this but that's by actual astronomers as okay. opposed to uh, what this guy is. But right, before- right, right. Of course, of <laughs> course. Yeah, they're, they're not going to be like, oh, yeah, there's a Niburu somewhere out there in the Oort belt. There could be. We don't know. We're still looking. Yeah, right. But before we get to any of that, Chris. We got we a little go- Tim Time, baby. Got to check in with Tim Banal at the Coast to Coast AM blog. Tim Time. Today's article from Tim Banal. Florida cop photographs UFO behind a plane. what a picture it is a picture indeed so from the article we're gonna see if this is blowing the ufo phenomena wide open chris i hope it does i hope tim did it for us this is it a police officer in florida was understandably bewildered when he caught sight of a ufo following an airplane and then saw the craft fly away at a tremendous speed once it had seemingly been spotted According to a local media report, the weird incident occurred early this month in the community of Brandenton Beach as Charles Morose was out on patrol. Oh, yes. The world famous Brandenton Beach. It is one of the best beaches in the country, I'm sure. A lot of alien tourism going down in Brandenton Beach, Paul. I mean, if I was an alien visiting Earth, you probably want to go to a beach. Do you think uh, President Biden goes to this beach a lot? Uh no, I'm gonna guess he doesn't. A, that was a Brandon joke. Oh, there we go. Did not catch yeah. that. Okay, Did. very sorry. Subtle. Keep going. Keep going. This is derailed. While watching a Coast Guard plane flying overhead, the officer was taken aback when he noticed that there was quote a big black thing in the sky behind it. <laughs> oh, no comment, Paul. No comment. No By his comment. estimation, the object was quote at least the size of a car or maybe a small aircraft. Oh, wow. So kind of a small craft, not too big. Intriguingly, it would appear that Morose was not the only one who saw the UFO, as he says that the plane turned around as if to pursue, pursue the anomalous object. At that point, the officer was astonished when the anomaly, which had largely stayed stationary in the sky, suddenly, quote, shot off like a rocket towards the horizon, and it was just gone. Wow. That's interesting that multiple people saw it. Well... He's technically the only one that saw it. He's saying the plane saw it because oh, the plane turns. Oh, I see. I see. so he's claiming that if there were people in this plane, they probably saw it. He yeah, he's claiming the, okay. the plane attempted to chase it. This is not a jet though. Uh this this looked like um uh just a very large plane. So I don't know if they would I, I was actually gonna say I still haven't seen it. the picture yet, so I, I'm unaware of what any of this looks like. We'll show you in a second. Okay. Morose marvelled that the puzzling anomaly, quote, had to be moving at at least five hundred miles per hour. Yeah, it was moving at least at a hop speed of like seventy-five miles per hour. Dude, at that point, you're just making it up. It was going like a thousand miles an hour, probably. it, It was like breaking at least three sound barriers. Since the area is part of his regular patrol, Morose says that he's very familiar with the aircraft that populate the skies there, and he is certain that the object was neither drone nor bird. Dude, this cop sounds like such a dingleberry. Yeah, I know just about old planes that patrol my skies. I look up every once in a while and I say, I don't know that plane. But then I take a real (laughs) good look again. And then, yeah, for sure, I do know it. So, uh, yeah, you can say I pretty much uh, run things around here pretty good. He knows his skies, which is interesting because I feel like a cop's job is on the ground. Right, you would think so, but this guy is just staring up at planes trying to identify them. Yeah, apparently the, the cops at uh Brandonton Beach are very bored. <laughs> so from the police officer, quote, I'm no UFO conspiracy theorist, and I'm not saying it was from space or anything like that, but there was something in the sky, and it was Holland Butt. <laughs> Oh, dude, that's like, it reminds me of the ancient aliens meme, where it's like, I'm not saying it's aliens, but it's aliens. (laughs) But it was, aliens. (laughs) but it was definitely aliens. Fortunately, Morose managed to snap a picture of the oddity seen below, which resembles a black rectangular object. Attempting to get to the bottom of the strange story, a local newspaper investigating the case contacted the Coast Guard, but were told that they knew of no unusual incidents that occurred at the time of the officer's sighting. Uh inconclusive, Paul. Inconclusive. Can I see a picture of this, Paul? Yes, you can. Let's do it. All right. So here is the picture. Chris, can you describe to me what you are seeing? Well, we're seeing the back of what looks to be a cargo airplane, Paul, of some sort, some kind of either. Uh, well, I'm seeing here that it's a Coast Guard plane. So that's it interesting. Is. There is definitely a black splotch up there and uh, it's definitely not a bird or anything it's kind of um oval almost maybe it kind of reminds me a little bit of uh what people call like cigar ufos it looks a little bit like a hockey puck to me a little bit like a hockey puck that's an even better description of it paul yeah it's about a hockey puck uh that is seemingly above this aircraft maybe maybe yeah. above it, maybe in front of it i don't really know it's definitely pretty interesting but i'm i'm gonna go with an inconclusive, Paul. So we didn't solve the UFO phenomena, Not today, sadly, but maybe next time. Maybe the next Tim Bernal article will definitely get it locked down. We are going to break it here on Coast to Coast PM after Coast to Coast AM breaks it on their blog. Right, exactly. It's going to be great. (laughs) It'll be a follow-up breaking event, possibly several weeks later if we didn't catch it directly on the day we record. If I wasn't paying good enough attention, yes. Yeah. All right, Chris. Some housekeeping. Housekeeping. We have an email address. Send your thoughts or episode requests to c2cpmpod at gmail.com. That is using the number two uh, instead of T-O. If you like the show, drop us five stars on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and smash that subscribe button. We release episodes every Thursday, and that'll make sure that you never miss one. And thank you to everyone that has told friends about us. We don't advertise or go on other podcasts. This is 100% organic growth, so please keep it up. Dude, I'm putting the... Do not disturb sign up next week. What does that mean? Because it's housekeeping. Oh, your jokes whizzed right over my uh, head. Am I am I not funny or are you not smart? I one of the two, probably (laughs) both, is what's happening. Hey, you guys reach out to us and tell me if I'm funny, please. (laughs) We would really appreciate it. Please tell me if I'm funny. As always, we don't make any money off this. We only run off your good vibes. So send your love to c2cpmpod at gmail.com positive vibes only for an artisanal podcast let's get to the show now to the show george Norris interview with andy lloyd june 4th 2019 now andy lloyd this is basically all this guy does now he just looks at the sky and researches potential planetary objects that are out there that we don't know about that may or may not have aliens on them so here's the question chris so is he like a so is he like a semi-astronomer no, he's uh, he's amateur amateur astronomer. I would say most. he's more like an amateur journalist. Okay, he's, he's a bit Graham Hancocky in that he's very specific in what he uh, journalizes on. Okay, and Got specifically it. space stuff. Okay, cool. Let's go. So, number one question from George Norrie.
2: How did you get How into this? this? Zechariah Sitchin, I guess, uh-huh. uh, captured my attention. I think anyone who reads any of Zechariah Sitchin's work it captures their attention.
0: It does, it, it does. It ca- captured mine too.
2: <laughs> yeah, and you know, I was I was really sort of taken with the ingenuity of his work and, uh, you know, the, the whole conceptual basis. It seemed to bring together so many different strands of thinking. Uh, it's very logical, uh, It's very well thought out, well researched, and, um, you know, I really enjoyed reading his books. And because uh, George, I've I got a, something of a science background. You know, when I was reading through Sitchin's work, whenever he'd start talking about Nibiru, um, I would immediately start in my mind thinking, okay, is this possible?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, it, it, what's the evidence here? Clearly there could be a Planet X because astro- astronomers have been looking for Planet X for the best part of 150 years.
1: Dude, I wonder if Zachariah Sitchin understood when he was first writing what was it, Chariots of the Gods? How important of a book that was going to be for conspiracy theories decades later. Yeah, or just the alien community in general, I guess. Right. He laid a foundation, you know, that others are still following to this day. Uh, Sitchin has since passed away, but while he was alive, huge impact. Huge, huge. Well, and the impact is ongoing. Yeah. I I mean, ancient aliens the TV show is just like all these guys who had the same experience as Andy Lloyd. Mm -hmm. I mean, and they were just like, oh, wow, this makes a ton of stits. It all comes from Zachariah Sitchin. It's all like a direct link to one guy. All 15 seasons of Ancient Aliens that is still going on. It's one guy. It's all because of him. It's just one guy who was like, well, this is kind of weird. And they just <laughs> was just like aliens gave us our technology. And then everyone was like, okay, yeah, I buy it. That This makes sense. Yeah. Now we haven't discussed Sitchin on the show really before. We've just kind of vaguely mentioned them, I think. Yeah. You know, I'm almost wondering, Paul, if we don't need to do like, godfathers of conspiracy pod because I think Sitchin would be up there and do like explainers Mm -hmm. right like this is what Sitchin believes this is what Bill Cooper believes this is what I mean shit dude even somebody like um the Unabomber right I mean he's kind of a godfather of conspiracy too we might need to think of a different word than godfather godfather feels a little too uh Uh, too religious (laughs) yeah that's a little uncomfortable there when talking specifically about conspiracy theorists more just like i don't know we'll workshop that people that kind of laid the foundation for what where a lot of people went since then right yeah yeah from a uh you know critical perspective um but first off sitchin what's up with him what does he think because i know some of our listeners may not be familiar with sitchin so george Dory was nice to give a you know one-minute explainer of Sitchin's theories, which was really convenient. Let's go. He
0: believed that there is this planet X in the solar system called Nibiru, which is on a 3,600-year elliptical orbit. That's why you can't see it all the time. It takes 3,600 years to go around the sun. And that it was inhabited by who he calls the Anunnaki, who came to this planet because they were looking for gold to pulverize, and sprinkle in their atmosphere to protect it. And when they got here, they decided they didn't want to be the ones digging for the gold and doing all this stuff. So let's create something that's already on the planet and genetically alter them a little bit, and they'll work for us. And that's where we came in. The Whatever species might have been on the planet at the time, the Anunnaki apparently genetically altered them, uh, Adam and Eve sort of, and here we are. And then, uh, you know, they, we, we mined for gold. They took it. They left the planet, apparently, and off they went.
1: That's the precursor ancient alien theory, mm-hmm. right? Big time. Advanced civilization, spacefairs come to Earth, genetically alter us somehow, make us into some kind of work slaves for a resource. Mm-hmm. And then they disappear. Yeah. And what that's Cichon... that's the lore. That is yeah. the vertical lore. People have added to it, people have changed little parts of it, but like throughout ancient alien theory, that is the key uh similarities. And the thing that Sitchin was specifically saying about Nibiru was that Nibiru was a planet in our solar system that would swing around, you know, every couple thousand years. And then that was when they had essentially hopped over to Earth and then made us mine for our gold, and then went back to their planet and then flew back off. So 3,600 years is a pretty interesting date because that means that Nibiru has been around for at least human writing. Which is where the concepts that Sitchin uh, lays down in his books comes from, is from ancient Sumerian texts. So a lot Ah. of it was because he was interpreting Sumerian texts and said, this is when they came down and it's gonna come back around, you know, um, you know, every 3,600, 3600 years. And so yeah. we're we're probably due for seeing Niburu relatively soon, huh? According to Sitchin. But Andy According has a different different idea of, of what that's gonna okay. look like. That we'll get into. That's okay. separate from Sitchin's work. But Sitchin kind of lays the foundation for his his structure of of research. It's kind of where he so, started. So this 3600 year elliptical around our Earth. I'm assuming that Sitchin gets this from ancient Sumerian texts. I believe it's it's from the texts that he bases okay. that off of. There's not a planet for us to find to, to yeah. actually you know make judgment on what its orbits look like. But most of what he was doing. Was uh, Sumerian texts. I believe Um, he also started going to more like biblical texts and basically just various Mm -hmm. religious texts around the world. And then being like, which one of these things are aliens? You know what I mean? Right, right, right. Well, and and we kind of get a similar thing with Graham. What right? Graham going into kind of ancient stories and Mm -hmm. looking for flood myths or looking for you know different kind of connections that that all these seemingly disparate cultures mm-hmm. have told themselves and what similarities they all share. Yeah. But back to planet X. So yes, planet X back is, to this. This is the idea that there is another planet out there that we are not familiar with. We have eight planets plus Pluto, plus a couple other small ones like Pluto. Right. But uh, Andy believes that there is another planet that, that we're still not able to see right now. Potentially there's an actual system out there. Uh, and this is not crazy like astronomers do think this has potential what's it the Kuiper belt so it's somewhere out in the Kuiper belt potentially there's there's a couple different places they're looking for but beyond Neptune essentially
2: some who are very open to that idea and some who are you know academic uh, professional astronomers who who really sort of get the bug with this it's kind of a, a holy grail type thing and they they really want to to you know who doesn't want to have their name attached to the discovery of a new planet I mean it's it's, it's big but well, it's, it's just such a big potential discovery for science So there's a lot of people who get really into it and um, you know science is evidence-based You've got to follow the evidence, but they they they're sort of taken with that bug and I guess I've got that bug as well Really? Thanks to Zechariah um, and then there are as you say detractors. There are people who who remain very cynical about mm-hmm. it. now now science is, is about cynicism. It's about looking at the evidence and questioning it and being critical. And you know, if if everybody just accepted the possibility that it's there and, and without the evidence, that, that that wouldn't be that wouldn't be right either. So it's it's very healthy to have that.
1: So Paul, let's uh let's put our, our goggles on and our white lab coats mm-hmm. and let's do a little science. Let's do some science. So one of the majority or maybe it's the plurality of star systems are based off of binary star systems, right? So most suns out there have a twin. It is believed that the sun does have a twin out there, but for whatever reason, it didn't ignite. It could have been that there wasn't enough mass, you know, it did ignite for a little bit and then ran out of fuel very, very quickly. And so the assumption is, is that there, there could really be a very large, you know, maybe Jupiter-sized, maybe even a little bit bigger than that uh, planet somewhere out there that's supposed to be binarily attached to our sun, but has, has you know, it's, it's completely dark out there. It could just be now a dark, you know, lump of solid metal now. And so it would be incredibly hard to see it all the way out there. Yeah, and that's the interesting thing is that there could have been something that was flung out, um, and it's really far. It's it's small or it's big, but it's dark, and all we can kind of see is maybe the impact it's having on some surrounding asteroids or something. Right. To that exactly. Effect. And yeah. that's that's why a lot of astronomers are like, "This isn't crazy." Like, yeah, this, this is this isn't an insane. And so, and that's what I've seen is that astronomers actually like. There, it's possible that there is something out there. Yeah, and one of the things that I saw as well in researching for this episode was that a lot of astronomers um, also say, you know, there there is potential that there was something that was in our system, but 4 billion years ago, it kind of got flogged off, right? And right. It's, it's no longer there. This was actually something that, that came into play a lot in the 80s when Nemesis was first brought up by a lot of astronomers, was that there was a, a dwarf out there that was like, Going in on this massive orbit was like flinging asteroids back into the system every um, couple of millennia or whatever it was. And that was what was leading to the cycle of extinction because, you know, asteroids kept like being hurled at Earth. Right. Right. Um, right. Now, that's no longer believed by you know the vast majority of scientists from what I was seeing because the extinction process. Doesn't occur as cyclically as they used to think. Uh, there's right. some more variability to it than than we initially right. thought. So like, okay, it probably doesn't make sense. We also haven't found anything like that, but it's not a crazy thing, right? It was yeah. something that they were looking at really seriously right. in the eighties. Right. Okay. Cool. 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 So 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 we are somewhat dealing in the realm of science. Yes, we definitely are. Um, and let's actually jump into a bit of him discussing Nemesis and, and kind of okay. talking through what that was thought to be. And again, this is I, a different thing. Yes, this is this is a different thing.
2: I, I was very interested in, in, in this Nibiru, and I wanted to understand how it was that a planet in, beyond Pluto, which would be, you know, extremely cold, extremely cold, could support life. And um, I was also reading at the time and interested in the concept of a body called Nemesis, which is a, a sort of an alternative uh, outer solar system planet, but of much bigger size. So the idea of Nemesis, which was a concept that came out in the 1980s, was that it was uh, a, a very sort of very small substellar object, like a, well, a brown dwarf potentially, that would be. Uh, flung out into the very outer reach of the solar system. So its, its orbit around the sun would be about 27, 30 million years long. And the idea of this planet was that periodically it, its orbit would sort of fluctuate and it would move through a comet cloud. And when it moved through the comet cloud, it would fling comets down into the inner solar system. And every 27 or 30 million years ago, we would get bombarded by these comets.
1: Okay, so Nemesis is kind of my theory. The the brown dwarf, somewhere out, you know, way far away, maybe even in the orc cloud, right? Like mm-hmm. l- like almost a light year away. Yeah. Very far out. Very um, far out. Yeah. And and I did look into all these claims that he was making. And and he's right. Like in the 80s, that's that's what some people were saying was maybe right. there is Um, You know, potentially a brown dwarf or a a large planet that is out there somewhere that is causing, you know, these these patterns that we're seeing. But but that. So let's take out the that this is causing the extinctions on Mm -hmm. some kind of cyclical pattern. Do astronomers still believe that it's possible there's a brown dwarf out there still or has this theory kind of gone to the wayside? We'll we'll get to that. There they okay. are currently looking for a ninth planet. There are okay. people who are taking, um, but that's a nine, planet, right? So. right? Not a what? I, which I I love how he described it: mm-hmm. substellar, yeah, object. Mm-hmm. They, don't mm-hmm. they don't believe that.
2: Not that I'm aware In of. Not, Not that, that I'm aware you're aware of. of. Okay, yeah. they're, okay. They're, that's could what be some I'm some asking. Yeah, yeah, so
1: that that general theory has gone to the wayside. Yeah, pretty much. Okay, okay, got it. So what, what he's done is combine Nemesis and Nibiru, though, because okay. he's still working on maybe there's a brown dwarf out there uh, and maybe Nibiru is out there. So like, how do we combine like these various theories that have been floating around the past couple decades into one master theory of uh, celestial objects that we aren't aware of that are flying around here? Yeah, because he kind of foreshadows it for us being like anything out there would be so frigidly cold. Yes. There would be yeah. all there would be so little energy hitting the planet from any solar source, whether it be our sun or a different one out there. I mean, it, it would be there would be so little energy coming from a star that it would have to get its energy some way else. Yeah, because otherwise and, and here's the thing, like how if we are going to sit there is alien life on it. There needs to be some sort of heat, some sort of energy source. It can't just be this like ice ball that's flying out this right. far from the sun. Does he does he mention Titan? No, he does not mention Titan. Oh, okay. Interesting. I because my first thought when he when he first mentioned that was Titan, the way that Titan works around Jupiter is that it condenses and it and it 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 expands and contracts and so as it's going around jupiter it is constantly the whole planet is like expanding and decreasing in size which creates energy actually no he may yeah he he does talk a bit about um needing to be around something with a large gravitational force. Titan so, is Saturn. Titan is Saturn. The yeah, bones. so uh, it, I it, it is I think I'm thinking similar. of Europa. Europa yeah. around Jupiter. Yeah, Europa's around Jupiter. Um So let's let's listen to how he combines Nemesis and Nibiru. Okay.
2: So I thought to myself, well, look, here we go. If we've got a brown dwarf in the solar system, then it's effectively potentially got its own planetary system attached to it because why wouldn't it? I mean, you know, if if all the stars in the galaxy potentially have got their own planets, then why couldn't a brown dwarf in our solar system out in the peripheries also have their own planets? And if that's the case, then you've got warmth, you've got potentially a bit of light, but you've certainly got the heat and the gravitational attraction of this thing to make life on a moon habitable. A lot of scientists argue that we couldn't have been visited by aliens uh and on this planet because how would they have got here from other stars traveling you know 5 10 15 20 light years if we've got a nemesis object in our outer mm-hmm. system then potentially we could have some light in our backyard, so to say
1: now that was something i thought was very interesting because that is yeah. a, a huge issue with uh aliens visiting us because i think number one if if there is alien life out there, we are going to have to hope that our civilization is going to cross paths with their civilization because maybe right. they already existed and they blew themselves up and they're no longer sending signals right. or something like that. Yeah, um, right. Or maybe there's, you know, a, a couple, uh, you know, uh insects out there on another planet who one day will evolve into a sentient species who can actually send signals out. But they're not there yet. And then we're going to blow ourselves up before we see them. Right. So, yeah. It's going to be millions of years from now. Yeah. And even if they are out there, you know, we're going to have to hope that they're close enough that they can travel or that we can even get their signals. Because Definitely. there's what's called like the knowable universe essentially because the universe is expanding and light can only move so fast there's a huge chunk of the universe that we're never going to be able to see or interact with no matter what we do um so this does solve that problem because if there is alien life or life on another planet that's close to us because we know it's not on mars right or venus or at least we don't think it's on Mars, who knows, uh, you know, having, having a plant that is kind of like flying in around us every once in a while, they would be able to visit us. It wouldn't take that long to to get all the way to earth. God, dude, but it just sounds like such a horrible existence that it, it, it would be the life that would pop up and thrive in this kind of environment would, it would be so harsh. I would mm-hmm. imagine. Yeah, probably, but I mean, I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe I mean, it's, these it's really would be nothing. like very hardy civilization, if you ask me. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm shocked that a brown dwarf can put enough energy output out that he believes. What I'm saying is, I'm surprised that he thinks that a brown dwarf could put out so much energy, but yet still remain hidden within our solar system. And that is a great question that he does address. Like why can't we see this brown dwarf? Okay. Because we don't it's not
2: out there as far as we Yeah. Know. Right. So what's up with that? The use of the word brown dwarf gives the impression that it is actually a lit object that is giving out light. Now now if that's the case, it, it just there's no way it could be there because it would be just so easy to spot. It would be ridiculously easy to spot. But the thing about brand dwarfs, and certainly the sub brand dwarfs, which is, you know, a smaller version and a bit more like Jupiter, is that they they kind of use up their fuel really early. So we can see them in other solar systems when they're very, very young, they're still burning up fuel Uh, and then they kind of go dark and dim uh, and then they become very, very difficult to spot. So if we're if we're thinking about something, we use the word. Brown dwarf for ease, really. But really, we're talking about something that's kind of old, and and clearly, if Sitchin was right, this thing is old because it came through the solar system fairly early on in the solar system. So it's at least you know four billion years old. Okay,
1: he kind of answers it, and I don't know enough about astronomy to refute him. That's the thing is that I'm kind of limited here in my ability to fact check. I'm basically just you know looking at articles that are posted online. And as far as I can see, I can't really find any astronomers who are saying that there is a brown dwarf out there, but Mm. I guess it is possible that there is something out there that's really dark that we aren't able to see. I think the issue becomes that the more planets we start adding into this, the more likely we're going to spot it, right? Right. So if you have the brown dwarf, like, okay, it's dark, but then you also have Nibiru that's orbiting it. We now have two objects that we can potentially see or see the impact their gravity is having, right? Right. Um, So to me, the more things you're adding in here, the less overall the likelihood that it exists is. Right, yeah. You're adding too much complexity to the math equation. Yeah, exactly. So next up, Nori, naturally, he's like, listen, we got all these astronomers out there. What if they know about this and they're not telling us, man? Can we trust these astronomers? That's right, dude. Government conspiracy. Cover up. Yeah. And uh, you're going to like Andy's answer because his response is basically like, you never know if the cranks are right or not. The cranks could always be right.
0: Though, Andy, do you think astronomers, if they really found it, would tell us? For some reason, they're, they're holding back. I don't know why, but I just have that feeling. Do
2: you know, I, I, was, I sort of had a little conversation recently with, with an with a astro, astronomer about um, alien life. So I sort of threw in, the, threw in the remark that, well, do you know, what's the probability that the conspiracy theorists are right? you know it it it's not zero you know you can't you can't look <laughs> you can't look at this and say there's no chance whatsoever that they're wrong you know there there is a chance there is a chance that that people who are studying our historical evidence for alien visitation and so on are right it's non zero When you're looking at something like the Frank Drake equation, when you're looking at that and you're trying to determine whether life could exist out there, you also have to bear in mind this extra factor, which is, hey, what if the government of the world or governments of the world or, or the science community in themselves unconsciously are in some way preventing us from realizing the truth? Now, governments, I suspect, would be in a position to be able to do that in a very covert way. If it was the people in the scientific community, it would be more to do with attitude. It would be that they actually – their knee-jerk reaction to this is, this is nonsense. We're going to say no. It has to be, as Sagan once said, extraordinary evidence for an extraordinary claim.
1: Paul, I'm going to start calling this like the conspiracist fallacy where they somehow have this idea (laughs) – that there's a non zero chance of something happening, right? And so it's the Bigfoot guys being like, well, you know, all these people are making claims that they've seen Bigfoot, they can't all be seeing things. And it's like, yeah, but if Bigfoot doesn't exist, then they are all just seeing things. Yeah. And it's also, and so, more- <laughs> sorry, it's go like ahead. if aliens aren't coming to Earth, then yes, these people are all just saying things. Yeah. And I think a big part of it too is, is like if if you go around basing your belief structure on what there is a, a non-zero chance of of existing, you're going to have a really hard time functioning in society because yes. you could argue that pretty much anything out there is non-zero. There is a non-zero what? chance that we are in a simulation right now. Oh, yeah. Is that in, in fact it? It's it, it may be like a 75% chance we're in a simulation. It's, it's it's most likely that we're in a simulation. Yeah, it's almost certainly we're in a simulation. Now, what I did appreciate about him though, that he he did, which I think a lot of conspiracists do fall into a trap, is that they pretend that this giant cabal that the cabal that they're imagining in their head um, exists like ubiquitously across like government and universities and corporations he made a very like big line in the sand of like if we're talking about governments you know they could hide alien life from us but if we're talking about universities that's different that's more just like institutional lock in that we're talking about right and which i did appreciate right it's not like some sort of illuminati running everything in the world he he is kind of grounded in reality you know what i mean in terms of how things function and, and there's, and I believe there's illuminous factions, right? There, there, there's verses out there and, and, and like the great power politics, it's a multipolar world and you get factionalization and you get breakups and allyship and stuff like that. Like to think that one group can run the whole thing is silly, I think it's It's well, and then also to loop in th- this is my biggest problem with Graham, Han- Graham Hancock is how much he hates on like archaeologists and professors and stuff like that. You know, it's it's like when people hate on NASA. If these people at NASA were so nefarious and evil, they wouldn't be working at NASA because they're not making right. that much money. I just have a hard time believing that people who decide to dedicate their life to like getting a PhD are that nefarious. I think that they can suffer from lock-in or they can be like, everyone kind of believes this. And then they are in kind of a mental structure where they're going to kind of fall in line, but I don't think it's as overt as Graham says. And that's something I did like about Andy is I think that he does give a little more love to scientists than, than Graham will, which I appreciate. Yeah. I'm I'm going to be highly skeptical of all institutions, though, just outright. So keep on going with that. You can preach that somewhere else, Paul. I'm going to preach it right here. You can preach that somewhere else. I'm going to keep a real heavy cynicism towards institutions. I don't want to have to think this much about stuff. I had to look up so much stuff, and I'm going to have to trust that astronomers can give me some information because I don't really care at the end. Right. Like, yeah, I need someone I can trust. To validate stuff and tell me that this is right when it comes to space objects, because you got to pick, you pick your battles, dude. You got to pick your battles. <laughs> Astronomy is not my battle.
2: Yeah. Uh, right. So let's hear what the astronomers are saying, Chris. Now, the the guys who've come up with with Planet Nine have written the papers, done some extremely elegant work mathematically to produce. Uh, a really good case for the existence of Planet Nine. They they essentially rebranded Planet X as Planet Nine. There's a reason they did that, George. They didn't just sort of think, oh, well, let's just call it Planet Nine. Well, there were two reasons. One of them was one of the guys, Mike Brown, he felt somewhat responsible for the sort of loss of status of Pluto. So he kind of renamed a planet Planet Nine. Huh. But there's also this desire to they take a step back from the kind of work like people like me and Sitchin have done and a lot of the other researchers on the internet have done and say, look, you know, this is just a planet. We're just looking for a planet here. You know, let's just forget all this other stuff. If we can find a new planet, that's a fantastic scientific discovery. All power to them, I get it. From their perspective, the things do not mix. They're interested in the science. They're interested in finding a planet. They're not interested in the kind of stuff I'm talking about and they probably think it's a lot of rubbish totally get that that's
1: fine i did appreciate that right he very much understands like where they're coming from and he's like yeah i'm gonna say this crazy stuff about aliens they're doing this work to find planet nine let's live in a symbiotic relationship yeah Uh, yeah we can help each other right which i appreciated the the other thing that i think is cool too is that like you know nibiru having aliens or like nemesis and like all that stuff um that's not necessarily something that anyone's looking at but like when it comes to there being an additional planet scientists are looking into that like there are there's yeah. a lot of stuff happening out there with like the asteroids and meteors that are clumping weird ways and they're like maybe there is a planet out there i also think though that astronomy is way more willing to have revolutionary thought outside thought than archaeology is. I have no way of judging that, to be totally honest. I have zero yeah, way of judging I just that. think of all the crazy revelations that have happened in the last 50 years when it comes to, I mean, quantum mechanics, mm-hmm. right? Dark matter, dark energy, you know, string theory, all these crazy things that, you know, I mean, relativity isn't even that old. Black holes aren't even that old, right? These are all insane things and you know archaeology you can't come in and be like there was a precursor civilization that was relatively advanced and everyone's going to be like yeah get the hell out of here it's this- you know <laughs> it's a straight straight line dude history is a straight line from sumeria is this your graham hancock defense now always <laughs> <laughs> Always defending Grant. I flashing, gotta watch the new Netflix special. Crashing it. Grant, it's pretty good. i have I'm only about four or five episodes into it, but it's definitely worth a watch. I gotta watch it. Uh, but I mean, you're probably right, honestly, because they are on the fringe of reality, right? It's the same thing right. with, like astrophysicists or physicists yeah. in general. They are working on things that do bend what we perceive as reality. Relativity right. being a great one, quantum mechanics being another great one, like where. Things are random without predictability. Like that's crazy. So yeah, I don't know. I'll I'll meet some astro- uh some uh some like astrophysicists, and then I'll go and meet an archaeologist and I'll let you know. Well, and that's what and, and, and but that's also what I'm thinking too there is that think because you're totally right, they aren't dealing with reality a lot of the time. So they're like totally used to people saying weird stuff. And so, you know, some guy being like I know there's got to be a planet out there that aliens exist. They're like, okay, we're gonna, we're not going to do the aliens exist on it part. But like, yeah, there could be another planet out, out there. There's yeah. like, you know, weird things that are happening at the outreaches of our solar system that can't be explained in our model. There has to be something out there that we're not accounting for. And here's the thing. There could be another planet out there. There could be alien life on it doesn't necessarily mean Sitchin was right and that the alien life came to Earth and then uh, made humans to right. mine for gold. Yeah. But, you know, that is possible. Where I kind of want to start with it is like, let's find out if there is another planet. Like, let's find the planet because we have the technology. We can find it if it's out there. And then we can see if there's aliens on it. You know what I mean? But the other thing I've, I've been wondering, and I don't know Sitchin well enough to know for sure, but we have like, we have SETI. We have tons right. of dishes pointing at the sky. Right. If these aliens are out there, why don't we get signals from them? Why aren't we hearing from them at all? I think the argument there would be that if you're not pointing this, the radio satellites at the part of the sky in which the planet exists, you would never catch it. I mean, it's something like 2% of our space is covered by radio satellites. I don't know. I just I feel like and so. I mean, there's just so much, dude. There is so much space out there that it would be impossible to capture it if we weren't looking directly for it. If we didn't know, it's probably going to be about right here. You would you would miss it. I don't know. No, I just feel like if they are out there, why wouldn't they want to talk to us? So I'm generalizing a theory here. Okay, what if it's like. An intelligent virus, or something like that, that that like took over its hosts, or like some kind of parasite that was able to like hitchhike off of plumes from geysers or something, and like hitchhike to Earth. So this is almost like a uh, expanse type theory with the proto molecule, right. proto something like that. Yeah. That they're somehow able to like. Take over. And so our elite power structure is just like virus-brained Nibiru. It uh, only infected the elites. Right, exactly. It only affected the elites. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. That's a theory. And then the virus gets to live like gods. That's what it is. Yeah. So Elon Musk is a Nibiru virus. Right, exactly. All right. That's fair. I'll take that. (laughs) I'll take that. So George Norrie is like, wait. So basically, based on what you're saying and what they're looking into, was Sitchin sort of right
2: about stuff? She connected with Sitchin's work as well. The way this thing was aligned in the heavens, mm-hmm. the, the the axis that it was on, and where it would pin up. And I thought, hold on, guys, you you've you've you're actually saying the same stuff as him. It's an inclined uh, orbit. It's it's pointing on an axis from its perihelion position that you know, coincides with the kind of constellations that that Sitchin was also talking about. And actually they talk about it being the same size as well. You know, they, they're talking about a super Earth and he talked about Nibiru being something that was like five uh, Earth masses or so. And certainly Planet Nine starting to look a lot like Nibiru. The, the issue then was that they're saying, well, this thing's about, I don't know, 800, 500 astronomical units. They're calling it 500 now. That actually means that it's got a, a, you know, it's necessarily got an orbit of tens of thousands of years. And that's where the break is. So it's not, you know, that 3,600 number doesn't really fit with it. But lots of other things do, you know, that kind of makes it that provides merit to look at Sitchin's thing and say, well, maybe he was right. Maybe he was right. Maybe there is a non zero possibility that Sitchin was right, but they don't want to think about it. I understand why they don't want to think about it, but they don't want to think about it.
1: Non-zero chance that Sitchin <laughs> is right. That he got everything right. Except Completely for the things right. he got wrong. Yeah, except for all <laughs> the things he got wrong. That was my favorite part about what Andy just did, was he was like, look, it sounds just like what Sitchin described for, like, these reasons. And then, obviously, Sitchin was wrong for these reasons. But right. those other things, I'm like, so he, it's not the same thing. Like, yeah, you're and, two different no, objects. I guess... I'm 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 going to give him a pass on being completely wrong about the how long it takes for this planet to go around the sun. I just think that especially back when he was first talking about this kind of stuff. I think he was probably looking for, you know, 3,600. It's such a nice number. And it's like, well, 360, we have 365 days. We have 360 in a circle. There's, you know what I mean? That, like that kind of stuff that he probably really liked 360 and just was like 3,600, you know? I don't know if that's why he did it. I think it was based on the text. I don't know for sure though, because I haven't read Sitchin. Right. But I'm just saying that that I'm I'm I guarantee you he read thirty six hundred somewhere or three sixty, whatever. That's what I'm saying is that it's so it would have been such an important number for uh, early humans that, of course, three sixty would be something he read, but it wouldn't be right. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's all I'm saying is that he he's not he was not correct about it. Like this right. is much larger. Than he's talking about it's like tens of thousands of years. Potentially. Right. Yeah. Um. But here's the important part, Chris, is that even if they do find this planet, they aren't going to tell us about the aliens on it.
2: So let's say then they find this thing. Let's let's say they find this thing and they start to make some...
0: And admit it. And admit it.
2: Exactly. Admit it. They are going to hold on to, for grim life, the possibility that, hey, we found a planet, but there's no life on there. No life, no life, no life, no life. Because, you know, they don't want to cross that rubicon and i understand why but they don't want to cross that rubicon
1: now here's my thing why wouldn't they whoever they is want us to know that there's alien life on another planet because we'll freak out i don't i don't know if any of this will play out the way that he says it would because i think if aliens are invading our airspace that's one thing right um and we, we don't know what it is or how to deal with it i could see the government covering that up I have a hard time saying that if there is life on another planet, that we are going to cover that up. I think that would be the largest scientific discovery of all time. And I don't think that it would be hidden. Not if they come to government secretly. I just, I don't know. I just, I have, this is where I have a hard time with ufologists, is that I don't see this playing out the way that they're saying. I don't think that it would be this secret. I think that the thing that we cover up is the fact that we have no idea what it is and we don't know what's going on. It's that like incompetent aspect of like, I'm scared of it. So I'm going to sweep it under the rug. I don't think it's going to be a situation of, we have proof that there's aliens, whether or not it's sentient or not. Right. Um, I, I just feel like everyone is going to want to share that. Like if I was a scientist and I figure that out, I'd be like I'm telling the world and I'm now the most famous person on earth. Yeah, you would think or let's just say I hope that whatever it is that we finally get if there is life out there on another planet or extra dimensional or whatever it ends up being, that the proof of it would be so profound that they wouldn't be able to hide it. And just, that's that's my general hope. Yeah, I just have a hard time thinking that it's going to be hidden. Like I said, I I think if it's a situation of... Well, and and that's where I think you and I disagree on some stuff, and I think you're just naive to think that knowledge like that, there wouldn't be a group of people who would want to hold on to it until they knew more, right? And who says when they know more right and so is it decades that they keep whatever it is a secret is it is it years is it months is it weeks we're not going to know immediately when it happens i would say you're overly distrustful of the scientific community without much reason to how much did you enjoy those jfk uh top that is documents. that is different that's the government how that's much not, are you, that's how not much the are scientific community that? those are two completely different things you can't you can't say that universities and the united states deep state or the the cia or the fbi are the same thing the but university in- of the university of hawaii who has giant telescopes being shot at the sky is very different from the cia those are not the same okay anyways keep going all right so here's the thing chris what about reptilians? <laughs> well, Paul, we haven't heard reptilians in a while. So let's find out.
2: You guys have been talking about a race that came down to um, genetically change us. Right? Do you think, have you ever um, seen Land of the Lost, actual like the TV show? Do you think the producers of the show got the idea for the reptilian, for the three stacks from the people who've studied The reptilian race that came down and
0: changed us? Oh, there's no question that a lot of the Hollywood shows, uh, in my opinion, have been spearheaded by actual events, investigative events, things that are going on, guests that we've had on this show, and that they've uh, used that information to develop their own programs. What do you think, Andy?
2: Um, The reptilian concept for me is a bit of a struggle because it it gets tied in, you know, with my own stuff, I guess, and stitching stuff with respect to the Anunnaki Because a lot of people who consider the Anunnaki and think about the Anunnaki tend to think of them in this reptilian format. Now he used to write about them being, you know, the, um, the you know, more like us. You know, he's, he's human. So if reptilian is a sort of a symbolic understanding in terms of, you know, the symbolism behind a snake and a serpent and so on, then I get that. But if it's actually literally sort of uh, humanoid lizards walking around the place or, or shape-shifting lizards walking around the place, i start to have a little bit of a, an issue with that. But
1: So not a big reptilian fan. Not a big reptilian fan, which is a bummer. Uh, I'm okay with it. I'm all right
2: with that. I, I disagree
1: that these... Niburians, Nib Niberians, Nibirians, Nibirians how, how, feels right. I don't even know how you would say that. Um, there's no way they would look like us. Yeah. There I there's no there's absolutely zero percent chance they would look like us. Well, here's the thing though, is if so if Nibiru, or Nibirians, I should say, did come to Earth and make humans. Maybe they did make them look like themselves a little bit. Uh, I think that's so. What they they was- used they used what was here, and then put a little a little of themselves into like a walking monkey or something. Yeah, like a little bit of hybridization with the local population. Right. Um yeah. They found which- an Austral- australopithecus, and uh, they were like, "Well, if we put a little alien in that, we might be able to make a human." Yeah. The other question I have is, like, did they not have robots? That just feels easier. Robots would always be easier. It's so hard to know what exactly other planetary civilizations are going to look like, how they're going to develop, what they're going to develop. And so if you never really focused heavily on artificial intelligence i'll call it right robotics um maybe it was easier for them to affect genetics for some reason maybe because they're a virus g- genetics was way more e- easier for them to mess with than doing robotics or something more artificial yeah back to the protomolecule right exactly. that would be the coolest way of going about it is just yeah. like send a virus to seed a planet for you right yeah. So I actually saw that from Orson Scott Card, who wrote the Ender series. Um, and his Speaker for the Dead series, they go to uh, another planet that has a virus that is intelligent. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we got another caller, uh, Chris, who's like, this kind of sounds like Fifth Element to me. Ooh, I love that movie. Such a good movie. I was watching a movie called The
2: Seventh, The Sixth Element. And that portrays that the evil entity coming into our solar system portraying Nibiru. And I think it's Fifth Element.
0: Fifth Uh, Element. That's the one with Bruce Willis, right?
2: Yeah, and he's absolutely right. Uh, Alphonse, you're absolutely right. There is this incoming object that's kind of a burning sort of star-like object. Uh, And, you know, I I took a video of this one. I saw it because I saw it myself and I was like, oh, my God, I know exactly what that is. So you know, they drew upon that. The makers of that film drew upon this particular sort of uh, whether you want to call it mythology or, or, or the cat- catastrophic flavour of this incoming um, brown dwarf uh, it, it is part of that film. So it, it's quite a quite a, an amazing thing to see, actually.
1: Paul, I'm I'm just I'm confused. So all. At the end of the day, all he really cares about is this planet, Mm -hmm. right? Not how it's affected Earth, not if there's aliens on it or anything like that. All I've really heard him talk about with any clarity, with any real belief, any real pinpoint precision, that he believes that there is something, some kind of planet out there circling our sun. He thinks there's something out there. He does touch on aliens. And that if we do find it, they won't tell us about the aliens. And that he thinks that there's a non-zero chance that Sitchin's right, but he does keep it more grounded in like, let's right. find the thing. Like, let's find the yeah. Thing. Uh, but he does he does dig into aliens. But I don't he I think he knows that the evidence is a lot weaker there, right? And that there really isn't any. You right. know what I mean? And I think yeah. step one in the process is showing that the thing exists, and then we can get into w- what's on the thing or what was on the thing. Well, he doesn't he. As far as the evidence for aliens, them interacting with Earth and stuff like that, he wouldn't be able to really reproduce anything that Sitchin hasn't already done or mm-hmm. any of these now other ancient alienographers, mm-hmm. um, wh- whatever they're providing, right? He So his thing has become kind of like the science behind Nibiru. Yeah, his thing is... Because Sitchin was so... Um, he was so into like ancient Sumerian texts and more like right. the ar- archaeology side of things. And then yeah, where he's coming in play is like, let's talk about the astronomy side of things, right? And what we could actually find that's out there and what right. evidence we have to support that. Well, I wish him all the 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 best of luck, Paul. I hope old Andy Lloyd finds his uh, planet X. I really hope that we, we do Nibiru. find the planet. Yeah, I think it would be a lot of fun if there is a ninth one. I mean, after Pluto got knocked out. Just I miss it. I miss having nine planetoid, dude. What a disgusting name, too. Pretty lame name. Well, Chris, on a scale of one to five brown dwarfs that hurl asteroids at Earth, what do you give Planet X? I'm gonna give him like a three, maybe a three and a half. This it was a little bit more science heavy, Mm -hmm. right? He he really wanted to focus on astronomers giving credence to there being something out at the far reaches of our solar system, Mm -hmm. which means that I get to miss all the stuff I love, which is the aliens coming to early man, showing them agriculture, giving them culture aliens as God teachers. I've always really liked that idea. Yeah. And if, If you're going to be, if you're going to talk about fiction so much, you really need to add a little bit of that spiel, a little bit more into it there, because I love that stuff, dude. I really do. Sumerians were weird. The Sumerians were weird. They're weird culture. The Egyptians weird. They're strange. Olmec's early Chinese civilization, dude, all of it. Very, very strange. And I want to know more. I need to know more. Gobeki Tepi in Turkey, dude. Very, very weird. I don't think it's Nibiru. You don't think it's Nibiru? But I do like the idea. I do like the idea that there is like this kind of large planet circling the outer reaches of our solar system causing havoc sometimes. Yeah, That's great. That's a lot of fun. That's fun lore. I think you're right. I wish that there was more lore um he he tried to stay pretty grounded but you know went out there a couple times so i'm gonna i'm gonna give him a three yeah. uh i appreciated that he showed some love for the scientists because i think they need love you know what i mean these guys i couple can do of nerds without that couple of nerds just sitting there looking at telescopes all day dude you got to yeah. show them a little love they're they they're nighttime people they're night people but they're nighttime people like the audience of coast to coast AM. p.m baby oh yeah well i was AM. talking about but yeah, also right. us. I guess. Yeah, they're night people. Night people. Night people. Well, that's been the show. Uh, we appreciate you listening. We will be on air every Thursday. So please check us out. Uh, we love you all. And have a great rest of your week. All conspiracy, all the time. Later.